Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal chapter 9 this morning and kind of get everybody caught back up since it's been a little bit since we've been in it. Remember the book of Romans is summed up in chapter 1 and verse 17 verse 16 he tells us the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes right it's for everybody and then in verse 17 he says for in it the righteousness of God is being revealed, right? So there's a righteousness from God that's being revealed. When we look at the book of Romans, it basically divides into really three sections. Chapters 1 through 8 are really the teaching section, what we are to believe. Chapters 9 through 11 is kind of a, a defense of the gospel because the Jews are saying, well, if Jesus is really the truth and what they believed all this time wasn't true, then why is why are so few Jews believing and why are so many Gentiles believing? And a lot of them, I heard somebody say something about one woman said, well, that means that all my families in the past have gone to hell if they believed what they believed. And unfortunately, the truth is in here and so many people just won't believe. It's unfortunate but the Bible tells us, we talked about that in the first two chapters, that we know there's a God because of creation. We know there's a God because of our conscience. God's put his law in our heart. And we have the opportunity, especially here in the United States, to hear the word anytime we want to. Unfortunately, there's a lot of false teachers out there. But the last section is really the applicational section. He says, this is who you are, and now this is how, how you're to behave, right? That's chapters 12 through 16. And so as we looked at the first three chapters, he talked about condemnation. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. When he got to chapters 4, he talked about salvation, how to be saved. And he talked about chapter 5, the fact that we can't lose our salvation. And chapters 6 and 7, and eight, really, he talks about sanctification, how to be made more like Jesus Christ. Chapters 9 through 11, remember, talk about Israel and how they're God's chosen people, they're elect, but they still have to trust Christ. But yet they've rejected him, and that's chapter 10. 
their election, their rejection, and then their restoration. That's where we're at. We're about, hopefully, I don't know, think we're going to quite finish chapter 9 today, but we're in Romans chapter 9. Remember, we've talked about how Paul's taken all of this chapter and he said that there were, that his, his Jewish brothers, according to the flesh, that he loved them, he would even go to hell if it were possible for them, if they could be saved. But we all know that that's not possible, right? And he uses, in each one of these sections we've been in, he's been using two prophets and two scriptures to prove his points, how he, he chose these people and he keeps going down through the line and what he's really showing us is how Jesus Christ ultimately comes through the line of the Israelites and how they were chosen. And so each one of these groups, that's the way it goes. He chooses Isaac over Ishmael. He chooses Jacob over Esau. He chooses Moses over Pharaoh. And ultimately that's what he's doing is he's choosing nations. Because each one of these people become a nation. And so as we get to chapter 9 verse 25, into this section... What he begins to do is he's going to tell us that basically that this was God's plan all along that, you know, not everybody's going to be saved. Why? Because what I said, people don't want to. They refuse to hear the truth, believe the truth. And he's going to tell us this one more time that the ninth chapter saying four things that Israel's unbelief does not violate God's promise. It doesn't violate his person his plan, nor his prerequisite for salvation, which is faith. As we look at these things, we see that he that the people of God are in unbelief and calls it their unbelief in verses 6 through 13, that that doesn't violate God's promise. And in 14 to 24, that it doesn't violate his person. The third point is where we're at today, that it doesn't violate God's plan because God knew all along because he's God that some people were going to trust Christ and some people weren't, right? And he knows that and he wouldn't be God if he didn't know everything. But some people try to say, well, God doesn't know everything. But God does know everything. He had a plan for Israel and he still has a plan for Israel. Each one of these sections, like I said, Paul's proven his points and he used two Old Testament prophets in each section and two Old Testament quotations. And again, he does the same thing in verses 25 to 29. And he's going to quote each one of them twice. And so he, he does that in each of these sections for each one of these four points. So that's how the whole chapter breaks down. Paul, what does he do? Every time he wants to make a point, what does he do? He goes back to Scripture, right? And when you look at the context, then you can understand what God's trying to say, right? That's how you prove Scripture is with Scripture. You just don't prove it and say, well, it's true because Fred down the street said it, but you back up Scripture with Scripture. So as we look at these last things here, we're going to see basically God is going to quote in verses 25 and 26 from the book of Hosea. And in verses 27 to 29, he's going to quote from Isaiah to show that only a remnant's going to believe. But in verses 25 and 26, he's going to tell us that the Gentiles are part of God's plan. And that's always been told 
all the way through the whole section. So God's actions are consistent with his plan or his revelation, you could say. So let's read verses 25, and, and I want to back up to verse 24 for just a second. And he says, Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So God has always said that he was going to call the Gentiles. His plan was always that everybody would be part of God's plan, right? He didn't leave anybody out. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall be saved, right? And when you look at the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10 says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And I could quote all these scriptures. He says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. And he's talking to Israel, right? And he says that the Gentiles are going to be part of God's plan. He said that Romans 3.29. Is he not only the God of the Jews only, but he's also the God of the Gentiles. God is God of everybody, right? Not just the Jews, even though they thought they had the corner on him, so to speak, right? They thought <coughs> he belongs to us and us only, right? As we look at verses 25 and 26, he's going to quote Hosea. And he says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not a people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come into pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. And so the first thing he does in verse 25 is he's quoting chapter 2, verse 23 of Hosea. And he's, he's talking to them. And Hosea, I don't remember, know if y'all know the book of Hosea. But at book of Hosea, really what God does is he tells Hosea to go and marry a woman. And he marries a woman. And somewhere down the road, she becomes a prostitute. Or basically, she becomes a, a loose woman. And what happens because of that, she's really a picture of God and his love for Israel. And guess what? Hosea loves this woman even though she's cheating on him and messing around. And this is kind of what God says about Israel. He loves Israel even though every time she goes after another God, he says that you're cheating on me, you're, you're prostituting yourself, that you're committing adultery because God is his, her, his true, their true lover, right? He's the one that really loves them. And basically... We don't think she was a harlot when he married her, but she kind of became one. And when the term harlot's used in the Old Testament, it was really a term that spoke of somebody that, that was just loose living, right? And that's what it was talking about, maybe not somebody that did it as a profession. But what happens is she has some children, and the first one that she has is a child named Jezreel, and it means scattered, and and. What he uses these children as a picture of is, is God scatters the people of Israel because why? Because they sin and they go after all these gods and they, they don't follow God like they ought to. And then the second child that she has is called Lo-Ruhama. And what that means is not pitied. And it's kind of a picture, like I said, of what God's going to do in their lives because first of all, 
they, they are scattered because guess what? They won't trust God. And you remember in the Old Testament how many times they got scattered, right? You remember the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and then later on because the people of Judah wouldn't trust God, the same thing happened to them and the Babylonians came and took them and spread them all over the place. And if you know anything about history, we know today that the Jews are scattered all over the world, right? But there seems to be a movement of the Jews coming back to Israel because they actually became a state in 1948. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the last child, this second child, means not pity because God didn't have any pity on Israel because what happened? Because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And then the last child that this woman Gomer had, how would you like to have a, the name Gomer as a woman? <laughs> but, but this last child that she had, lo of me, it means not my people. God says, because you're not my people and I will not be your God. And so these three children really represent Israel and how they run off from God and they cheat on God and they... They are got all these other gods and they're following after the gods of all these other people that are around them because they didn't exterminate these people like they were supposed to. And yet they represent God's abandonment of the northern kingdom, which is Israel. And what happens is in 2 Kings, what happens? They, the Assyrians come in and they take them captive and they, they scatter the people all over the place, right? But what happens later on, and he says here that, he says in Hosea, I will call them a people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. Because see, they were scattered all over the place. But what Hosea is saying is these were not the people, they were not beloved, they were uh, not pitied. But you know what? He says that I'm going to call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who were not my people. And what is God saying? And every time you read the Old Testament, there's all these judgments when God's talking to the Israelites, and he's telling them, I'm going to do this, this, and this to you. But then at the end of the book, he always says, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back. I love you anyway. And somewhere along the line, you're going to come back. And, and that's what he's talking about, that they did come back, and some of the people came back from the Assyrian captivity. But not a lot of them. Some of them ended up staying where they were at. And that's what he's talking about here. And he says, And it will come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. And, and what happens is, if you read, and I was looking at all this yesterday, what actually what God does is he says, in Jeremiah 3, verse 8, he says, Then I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So when you read these verses, what you see is that God allowed these people to go into captivity. You know, that's really a picture of sin in our life. The Bible says whoever commits sin becomes a what? Slave to sin, right? And the Old Testament picture of the Israelites going into captivity is really a picture in the New Testament of what happens to people that go into sin. Like I said, when I deal with these people in the jails and the prisons, why are they locked up? Because of sin, right? They've gone into captivity. 
They're locked up in their sin. They're locked up in their addictions. They're locked up in these places because why? Because they've done wrong things and they've caused their own problems. But what God says is, I love these people and I'm going to bring them back. And he did bring them back. He brought them back after the Assyrian captivity. But you know what happens later on? Later on, they, when Jesus comes again, what happens? They reject Jesus again. And because they reject Jesus again, what happens? Jesus predicted in AD 70 that the temple would be torn down and not stone, one stone would be left another and they would be what? Scattered all over the place again. And what's happening here is God is really, through Hosea, he's predicting these two, and through Paul, he's predicting these two times where they're going to be scattered, but yet they're going to come back. But then the last time, what's going to happen when God brings them back after this last time, after they've been scattered all over the world, after they reject Jesus Christ, that's going to be at the second coming when Jesus comes back. And he's going to bring the people back. And then those that believe will be saved. And he says, and all Israel will be, made, will be saved. And so what does he say here? He says, these people shall be called sons of the living God. So what God is doing here is he's, he's using these people and he's saying, yes, the Jews have been rejected. Yes, they have, they have sinned. Yes, they've been scattered. Yes, they weren't pitied. Yes, they were not loved because of the things that they did. But you know what? I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to love them again. And I'm going to take care of them. I guess I didn't put that verse down in there. But it says in Jeremiah 30 verse 10, it says, Therefore do not fear, O servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For I, behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of the captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet. No one shall make him afraid. And so what is he doing? He's, the prophets of the Old Testament saw that Israel would enter in belief. They would come back, right? What the Holy Spirit does through Paul is he, he through Hosea, saw historically in the time of Christ. And you know what? Today, the, the true the Israel of Christ, the church now, is really committing adultery. And the church today is no better than what Israel's doing because the church today is not living up to its name either. What happens is this is not permanent. And you know what, Paul, even Peter even uses the same concept in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. And he says, you're a holy people, you're a chosen people, you're a people called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And then he, and he kind of applies this same passage, people that were not a people are now a people. And he applies that to the church because in a sense, ultimately that's the full spiritual fulfillment of it. But you know what? Also, the Jews are going to come back. And in verse 26, like I said, they are sons of the living God. Let's look at verse uh, 27 and 28 and 29 and see what we can do with that now. He says in verse 27, he says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, 
we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. So what we see next is Isaiah, he cries out, it says here. He cries out concerning Israel. And that word cries out is a very strong word. It sometimes he means to scream. What is he doing? He's saying even though physical Israel it shall be as the sand of the sea, he says only a remnant's going to be saved. We all know what a remnant is, don't we? I'm sure most of y'all ladies do. It's uh, you know like a piece of fabric or something like that. Everybody's been buying the fabric and there's a big old roll of fabric and they get through, there's a piece not really big enough to do a whole lot with, and so they say, well, we'll give you a deal on this. It was $4.99 a yard or whatever, so we're going to sell it to you for a dollar or something, this piece of cloth, because there's really probably not enough to do a whole lot with, right? We got a bunch of that one time and made a bunch of lap robes for people in the nursing homes because the lady went and got all the remnants from all the people and said, do you have any leftover fabric give it to us so we can use it because we want to make some lap robes and they did us a deal on it and we got a bunch of fabric for almost nothing because they were remnants right a remnant is a small piece and what God is saying here through Paul he's using Isaiah ultimately he said only a piece of Israel is going to be saved right because not all of them are going to trust in Jesus Christ Isaiah sees the unbelief of Israel too. He says, even though the number of the children of Israel should be as the sand of the sea, even if there's that many people, as many as the sand of the sea, he says only a few are going to be saved, right? And what he's doing through Hosea and, and by Isaiah, these are pictures about the time of Christ and presenting the gospel in the age where the Jews also rejected Jesus and were severed from him and scattered. Like I said, and the few that were came back from Assyria kind of typify or are a picture of those who get saved in this age. And that's the way it is. You know, I don't know if you really noticed it, but the more I read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a physical picture of the spiritual in the New Testament, right? And everywhere I look, I see the physical really is a picture of the spiritual, because God is using these physical things, the Old Testament captivity and slavery of, of the Jews to picture the New Testament spiritual slavery, right? Where we, don't, where we sin and we're addicted to stuff and things like that. God says he's going to save only a few. And even Amos talks about that. Over in Amos chapter 3 verse 11 he says... An adversary shall be around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, verse 12, As a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and on the edge of the couch. And what he's doing there is he's saying that just as a shepherd in the Old Testament, if he was watching some sheep and he was watching them from somebody else and in a line or something got hold of that sheep the guy had to say well he had to prove that that he didn't steal that sheep so he would try to get something from that line or somehow get a piece of that animal so he could prove to the to the owner of the sheep that guess what that 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 he didn't steal them but a lion or a bear or something got them and so what he's saying is that god's gonna just gonna snatch a piece 
piece of the Israelites out of the jaws of the lion because they're they're getting eat up by their sin and by the way they're living and and what he's going to do is he's going to snatch a few of them out of the very teeth of the lion and he's going to save them because he loves them. The point of Paul using this is that this isn't a violation of God's plan. This was predicted by Hosea, it's predicted by Isaiah, and even historically we've seen it, right? But the last thing he says is he's going to save just a little bit. Look at verse 29. He said, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What happens? We see, unless the Lord of the Sabaoth, and I, you know, he uses that term more in the Gospels anywhere, but the Lord of the Sabaoth means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of everything, the Lord of the angels, the stars, the heavenly planets, the bodies, the Lord of everything, right? And he says, the Lord of everything, if he had not chosen a seed, if he had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. We remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We believe that's where the, what is it, the Dead Sea today is. What happens is, they destroyed it because of all the homosexuality, right? All the sin of those people. What happens here is he says that God is going to snatch a few of them out of the fire. That God is going to save a few of them. And that's the way it's going to be. Because, you know, like I said, these Jews, they were saying, look, if this is the true gospel, why are all the Jews rejecting it? But... You know, if you really look at it, there's only a percentage of everybody that believes on Christ, right? Everywhere we go and, you know, as we minister the gospel and all the places we go to, we only see a small percent come to church or come to Bible study and we only see a small percent get saved. And that's the way it's always been is because God has always had a remnant. He's always had a few. And the reason he's only had a few and only had a remnant is because those are the ones who truly trust him, right? The Bible says that the way is straight and and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many are on that road, right? And he says, and straight is the way and narrow is the way and few there be that find a way to life, right? And that's the way it's always been. And the reason it's been that way is because people want to do what they want to do, right? People want to live for themselves. They want to do their own thing. And, you know, it's unfortunate when you look around and you see the few that we have and the few that are in the churches and fewer and fewer and fewer believe in the true gospel and the true word of the God. And looks like we're going that direction. But you know what? God's still in charge, God's still in control, and God still loves us, right? And you know what? He's going to save some. He's not going to save everybody. But that's because not everybody believes. And we'll talk about that next time. I've dumped a lot of heavy stuff on y'all today, and and it was deep. But just remember this. Here's the bottom line of this whole section, that Hosea... Isaiah, all the Old Testament prophets, even though Paul's only quoting two different prophets, 
what happens is God has predicted all this. He's already written down in a book thousands of years before it happens, right? God knows everything. God is in charge of everything. God loves us. And you know what? What he wants to happen always works out. But we'll talk about next time how it plays out with our responsibility. And that's kind of 30 through 33. Most people don't want to be saved because most people you talk to, they don't want to hear the truth. They say, you're being judgmental, you're being mean, you're being non-inclusive. That's what they've done and they say, well, I can live any way I want to. I don't know if you've noticed, but all the so-called rights that people have are really wrongs. I've got the right to kill my my baby, right? I've got the right to live in sin with a man or a woman, and I've got the right to drink and to do anything I want to. It doesn't matter. And the sad thing is, is people say, well, why can't I live this way? Because I'm not hurting anybody. But the problem is, and the truth of it is, is they're hurting everybody around them, right? Especially their families and their loved ones. Most of all, they're hurting themselves and they're hurting God. But the sad thing is, is people don't realize how badly they're hurting their family and their loved ones. And, you know, as sad as I go out into the prisons and the jails, I see many times a lot of these people, while they're locked up in jails and prisons, you know what happens? They'll lose their whole family just about, or all of them. They'll lose their daddy, their mom, and their sister, their brother, and their whole family. And it's like the judgment of God on them. They just lose everybody, and then they're locked up in this facility, and they can't even get out to go to the funeral or any of these things because they just can't let anybody and everybody out to go to family funerals, and nowadays they make them pay for it. If you, if, if you want to go to your family's funeral... You have to be able to pay for a deputy and the time of the car and somebody to escort you and be with you because you're still somebody that's locked up and they just can't turn you loose to go to the funeral. So you have to have somebody to officer with you to make sure you don't just run off and never come back, right? And so that's the way it is. And these people, they lose their whole family while they're locked up and and it's so sad. And the lifestyle, one of the guys that I know that used to work down at the, uh, one of the centers around here, he says, there's only one or two of my friends left that I grew up with, and he grew up in a rough neighborhood, right? And it's just the way it is because of sin. It takes people out. And people just don't realize the consequences and the extent of what that kind of life does to them. Well, let's pray and let's close and we just be thankful that the Lord has worked in our life and, and if we have family and people that we know that are in sin, let's be praying for them because that sin is a horrible thing and it just destroys lives. Like I said, in all the facilities we go to, we see that, just how bad it is and what it does to people. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for who you are, and we just ask that you would work mightily in each of our lives, Lord. If there's one here that doesn't truly know you as Lord and Savior, we pray that today that they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me.
And Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to work in our lives. Help us to glorify you as our light so shines that others may see our good works and glorify you, our Father who's in heaven. Let our salt not lose its flavor and our light so shine. And let us be about the business of your work. As Paul said, I, I want to lay hold of you for the reasons you laid hold of me. I'm, I'm reaching for the prize towards the goal, towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hadn't made it, I hadn't arrived, but I've given it all I got. And I'm trusting in you, Lord, to help me get there. So, Father, we thank you and love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.